house this morning. He is worthy. Amen. We bless your name, Lord. Well, we come into God's house and we bring our offering of praise and worship. And Lord, we're so thankful that he, he, when we gather together in his name, that he'll be in our midst. Amen. No matter what we're going through as we enter into his presence, there's fullness of joy in his presence. And as we sing to the Lord this morning, I just encourage you that whatever you brought through those doors, hey, come on, let's just lay it at the feet of Jesus and let's enter into his presence together because he alone, he's worthy. Amen. So let's just worship him together.
Come on, let's slip our hands to heaven and sing the last time we say, We bring our praise to you. We bring our praise to you. Oh, we bring our praise to you. Oh.
I pray over your people today that they would know that you are here in their midst, that you hear their cry, you hear their need, you hear their prayer, and that, God, you want to meet them right here today, and you want to see miracles happen, take place in their lives. We thank you, Jesus. We are going to have a time of prayer here in our altar, and our prayer team's going to come forward. And this is what the Lord was telling me. There are people here that have been praying for a miracle, a miracle for their family, a miracle for their marriage, a miracle for their children, for their finances, for their business, a miracle for their health, for their friends. And God said that if you would come today and if you would agree in prayer, God is here in your midst and miracles will take place. So I want to encourage you as we continue in prayer, come Come to the altar. Come and receive prayer because where two or more agree together, God says that he's there in our midst and miracles will take place. God bless you as we continue to worship. He whispers in my ear, tells me that I'm fearless. Shares a melody, tells me to repeat it. Oh, he makes me whole. He reminds my soul. I'm more. He says I am. I'm more. That he says I am. I'm more. That he says I
that again. We declare it all over the house. You saved me, God. You saved me. And I will be forever. You have made me free. your heart this morning. No place rather to be in the house of the Lord with God's people. Amen. He is worthy. Why don't you turn around to two or three people this morning. Tell them how happy you are to see them in God's house. I'm in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. Cause I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. down in my soul that I on the rock. We're so glad you're here worshiping with us. 
In the back of the chair in front of you, we have a lot of information about our church. Our inside look lets you know everything about who we are and what we believe in. Our ministry guide gives you plenty of opportunities to get connected through small groups, classes, and outreach opportunities. If you're a first-time guest, fill out the white card in the seat back in front of you, drop it in the offering, or you can bring it across the hall to the Connect Room where you'll receive a free gift bag. Don't forget about our Saturday night meal and snacks between our Sunday morning services. Also, the coffee bar is always open. We are so glad you're here, and we hope that you know there is always a place for you at Church on the Rock. As a woman, every day is a fight. Like a small boat in the ocean, making bigger waves in emotion. Like how a single word can make a heart open. I might only have one match, I can make an explosion. A fight for my home, a fight for my family, my friendships, my faith. Life is full of ups and downs, but no matter what happens, I'll never back down from the fight. This is my fight song. Take back my life song. Give you my life song. Your powers turn on. Starting right now, I'll be strong. And I'll play my fight song. And I'm not gonna stop till everyone else believes that I Join us at the annual Church on the Rock Women's Conference as we prepare to fight. October 16th and 17th at the beautiful Hilton Rockwall Lakefront Resort. Register today at churchontherock.org. This Wednesday night is our kickoff for the new ministry guide in fall semester with a free hamburger meal from 515 to 615 and life group promotion night in the sanctuary. Come for the free meal? Then stay to learn about all the opportunities for outreach and small groups for this fall so you can find a place to connect. Praise the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Well, that's the kickoff this Wednesday. Uh, if you can hold just a second, pass in those uh, pass in the little buckets. What they are is they're actually invitations to invite somebody to church. And you know, everywhere I go, I leave these. If I get a hamburger or if I go to Sam's, wherever, because listen, it's a way for people to connect with God. And I want to encourage you, when these little buckets come by, take three or four packets and uh, you just give them out wherever you go. It's a great witnessing tool. But I want to encourage you, Wednesday night, we're going to be right here at the church, that free hamburger meal. But afterwards, we're going to be here in the sanctuary doing what we call a parade of ministries. And we're going to be sharing with you every activity, all the things that's going on in the life of our church in this fall semester. So I hope you'll come this Wednesday and be a part of it. But we're going to dedicate a baby. Bring this little baby up here. Will she let me hold her? Hey, sweetie. 
How old is she? Tell anybody hello out there. Hi. Hi. What? Some of them do look funny, but they're nice anyway. They're very nice people. I love all of them. And they'll love you too. Yes, they will. You know, in a baby dedication, it, it's really a family dedication. It's really a commitment on our parts to say we're going to raise this child to know the Lord. Would you introduce your family to us? I'm Victoria. This is my mom, Tanya. My ch dad, Charles, brother, Cameron, and Valerie, the summer. <laughs> you know, in, in a perfect world, mom and dad are in the same house, grandma's across the street, and aunts and uncles are in the neighborhood, and, you know, everybody goes to church together. And even then, it's hard to raise a baby. But you know, little Moses, when he was born, mom got to keep him a little while, but then she had to turn him over to Pharaoh's daughter, and she was kind of like the nurse. And he grew up under the influence of the worst place it was in Egypt, but somehow he kept on to his faith. And you know, when you make a commitment as family to raise this little girl to know the Lord, it's going to work. She'll come to church. Look at him one more time. That's the people that are going to love you. Wow. Yep. They're the people that are going to love you, and they're going to help you. And if you misbehave, they're going to tell your mommy, too. Yeah. It, it, it's part of the deal. That's what's going to happen. But, but you have to love me anyway, just because I said that. <laughs> Lift your hand towards this family. Lord, we do bless this family. We thank you, Lord, for the love of God that's here. We thank you for their desire and willingness, Lord, to, to dedicate this little girl to the Lord. And we bless this child today. We pray that she would grow up with a, with a vital love for God, with a sense of, of covenant commitment to her, her Savior all her days. And I pray, Lord, that you would just cause there always to be food on the table. Keep, Lord, the maladies and sickness and all these things away. And you just watch over this little girl and let her be godly and strong all her days. Let her be someone who influences and not one who's influenced. And we bless her today in Jesus' name. Everybody say it? Amen. 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 Tell them bye-bye. Say, I'll see you later. Amen. God is good, right? Pastor John didn't tell you about his new venture he's doing, but Friday nights, he babysits kids. And so uh, <laughs> you can just sign up for that. Anyways, we're so glad you're here. Uh, if the ushers haven't come yet, you can pass out those. I guess they're doing it right now, the invitation cards. I challenge you, get an invitation, invite someone to church. There's a lot of people in Texarkana that need Jesus, amen? There's a lot of people that don't go to church, that need to be in church, and they need to worship God. They need a place for their kids to worship. So I challenge you, let's be bold this week. Let's reach out. Uh, in the seat back right in front of you, hot off the press, we have our new inside look and our new ministry guide. And if you're new to our church, I challenge you, take these home, look at them. This is everything that's going on in the life of our church, uh, from what we believe, what we believe God's called us to do in the city. This ministry guide is new for the fall. Everything that's happening this fall from life groups to kids to young adults to equipped classes is found in this uh, ministry guide right here. So take this home. Listen, the motto kind of here at the church is we don't want to do life alone. We want to be connected to people. We want to have community. We want to share the journey together. Amen? How many people know it's easier when you're traveling with somebody that's in the same boat as you paddling the same direction? We're not perfect, but we're trying to get there together. Amen? 
Uh, as we continue our worship with our offering, if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. And after I read this, we're going to show a quick video. But God's doing some amazing things in the life of our church. And this video will show you some other things that just happened. But it says this, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves, say loves, a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything that you need and plenty left over to share with others. Say with others. As the scripture says, they shall they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. I'm telling you, what a great scripture. God blesses us. He gives to us, not to just hoard, but so we can bless others. Amen? That's why God blesses us. And we have a quick video. A few weeks ago, we went out, several of us from this church, and we passed out bags. You're giving. I think we made over 260 backpacks for kids in the community for school. And check this out. It's a blessing. Yes, 
to heaven and just say, Lord, that's the desire of our heart. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Let us have any part of it you want us to play. But as we stand in this moment before you, we just acknowledge you're a holy God. You're an awesome God. And we love you. And we say today that we don't take anything for granted. Lord, we don't take our health for granted, the food that we eat, the safety we enjoy, air conditioning, all the things we're accustomed to. But Everything is from your good hand. I just want to say thank you today. I want to say thank you that you're an ever-present help in time of trouble. I want to say thank you that you've written the days of my life in a book before one came to pass. I want to say thank you that you're the one who began the good work in me and you said you'd bring it to completion. Even when I fall and stumble and do things I'm ashamed of, you pick me back up. And like the prodigal's dad, you're looking for me to come home. So we say welcome tonight, but this morning, welcome. Here in our gathering of believers all over our city, all over America, all over the world, wherever Christians are gathering, we're waiting for that great day when Christ returns. So help us be watchful of waiting. Lord, I want to pray for all my friends today. All of us have some problems, struggles, needs. Could we just, you help us cast our cares on you because you care for us. Welcome, Holy Spirit, today. We invite you in our midst. And we pray, Lord, as we open the Bible, the Word of God, the inerrant Word of God, life-giving, eternal, absolute truth, that you would write on the tablet of our heart in a deeper way. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Give your neighbor a high five. Tell them you are glad they're here today. Well, buenos dias, everyone. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Hey, how many were here last week? Quick survey here. Raise your hand if you were here last week. All right, good, 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 good. Okay, uh, how many that were here last week remember what we, uh, the title of the message was? Let me see your hand here. Okay, I did a wonderful job last week. Um, how many remember the little story that I told you about the can of beer? Let me see your hand that were here last week. So what does this tell us about your spirituality and <laughs> priorities and things? Well, anyway, the series was called The Power of Yes. The Power of Yes. And in a nutshell, what I want to teach you today is, again, amazing things happen when we say yes to God. Amazing things. Matthew 4 is our series text, verse 18. Jesus sees two brothers. He's walking by the seashore. Peter and Andrew casting a net into the sea because they're fishermen. And Jesus said to them, say it with me, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And the wonderful thing, verse 20, immediately they left their nets and they followed Jesus. Peter's a fisherman. He's a tough, burly guy. Peter's an outgoing guy, but he had no idea what was going to happen. The monumental change that would happen in his life when he said yes to God. He had no idea of the eternal significance that was about to unfold. He had no idea that he would write two-thirds in the New Testament 
Uh, not Peter. He would write two books of the New Testament and perhaps another one, an influence in the Gospel of Mark. He had no idea when, when he said this that he would be the voice on the day of Pentecost that would see 3,000 come to Christ and begin a movement called the church that would sweep around the world that today has several billion followers. Peter had no idea that he'd have such an integral part to play, and it all started when he said yes to following Jesus. Well, that's kind of the, in essence, what we're talking about in this series, because the same for them works for us. But this morning, I want to talk about the word significance. I want to talk about eternal significance, because when we say yes to God, what we do is we move from the temporal and the temporary, things that will only last for a lifetime, and we plug into things that will last for eternity because we're building God's eternal kingdom. And as we start this morning's message, I've entitled it, Yes Opens the Door to Significance. It's a lengthy title, but I'm going to, uh, we're going to begin this morning talking about significance, what it means, how it's different from success, and then I'm going to give you two examples in the Bible. One person that said yes to God, and something just incredible happened. I mean, as big as the world because of their yes, but then we're going to flip the coin because for most of us in this room today, we may feel that our contributions are insignificant, but we're going to look at a mom and a grandmother who made a tremendous influence on a young man who literally became a world changer. So anyway, I think you'll enjoy it this morning. We're going to show a quick video first uh, about a church member, a uh, lady that goes to our church. Her name is Penny Hiller, and she's been on the mission field uh, full-time for a number of years, but I want you to hear her story about significance. Hi, I'm Penny Hiller. Back in the late 1990s, I was a single mom, I had just finished my master's, and I was teaching English as a second language to children and also to adults at night. And I was going on every trip that Church on the Rock was taking. Why so many trips, you ask? Because on that first one, I felt the Lord put a desire in my heart for full-time missions, and I said yes. I also heard him ask me if I would be patient with him while he trained me first, and I said yes. I had been teaching for four years and promoted to ESL trainer. I was excited and I was thriving. But when I went to sign my contract for the next year, I felt the Lord nudge me that it was time to go full-time in missions, and I said yes. When I went to see my supervisor, I was a little nervous and concerned that she would uh, be resisting this, but she said the most delightful thing. She said, you are trading success for significance. Wow. Now it's been 15 years, and I want to tell you what's been happening and give God all the glory. He has led me to 22 countries where I have taught, I have trained, I have led teams, I have developed relationships, and I've developed curriculum. Bible-based English as a second language materials. But God has done exceedingly abundantly more than I could ever have imagined. He took those tiny seeds of saying yes to full-time missions and yes to Bible-based English as a second language, and He has multiplied it. He has spread it to 60 countries that I know of on six continents. Amazing. And I can only think back to those words of my supervisor. You're trading success for significance. So I said yes to God, and then I trusted Him to complete the good works He had begun in me and through me. And He has done that, and He is doing that, and I give Him all the glory. Praise the Lord. Penny was here last night. Penny, are you here this morning? 
No, not here this morning. She was here last night. What makes that a tremendous story? At first impression, it's because she touched 60 nations of the world. And that's a great thing. But what to me makes her life significant is she simply said yes to the Lord and did what God wanted her to do. Now, she had her master's in teaching. If God had wanted her to stay in Texarkana and rather than focus on 60 nations, focus on 60 students here in Texarkana, I mean, that would have been equally significant. Because it's not just going somewhere else to do ministry. It's just doing what God has called us to do right where we are is it makes eternal significance. Now, this word significance, as I'm using it today, simply means this. It means that something is important because it will last for eternity. Let me say it again. Something is important. It's significant because it will last for eternity. If I can contrast and show you an example, let's say on one hand we're going to be like Peter and fish for men, and which means to lead them to Christ, to make disciples. On the other hand, we're going to a bass tournament. Uh, I mean, no bass tournaments are great. God's not against hobbies and fun. But if you win this bass tournament, you're going to get trophies, probably some money, some accolades from friends. But if that's all you do all your life is go to bass tournaments, how many know when your life is over, there's nothing that lives beyond you? You can't take the trophies with you. You can't take the money. Whereas if you had done a portion of your life, invested it for Christ, I'm telling you, friends, amazing things happen. Now, you can take your hobby. You see, what we're all looking for is we're looking for success. That's what the world encourages in, whether it's success in our, our academic endeavors, success in our business life, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, there's even a definition of success in the motorcycle club, right? I mean, there's, there's that Harley that's got something on it that puts you a step above. The, yeah, okay, you don't drive a Harley then. What do you drive? Okay, you drive a Harley. All right, all right. Well, anyway, whatever we do, there, there, there's, a, there's a, a place of success. If you're, if you're a lawyer in a room full of lawyers, somebody is a successful, and they're recognized in some way by the bar association or whatever the case is, and the world pushes us towards success, but oftentimes we ignore significance. Because success in this world will only last for a lifetime. But significance in God's kingdom, doing those things which build the eternal kingdom of God, will last forever and will be rewarded in heaven. Now, you can take a hobby, though. For example, let's take our bass fishing tournament. Let's say, uh, let's say we go uh, to a, a tournament at Lake Fork, and uh, we're fishing. You and I are in the same boat, and you catch a bass 18 pounds. I mean, no, that's one big fish. And you win the tournament, and I mean, you've got everybody there. ESPN is there, all the outdoor channels and shows, and they've got cameras and videos, and they put the mic in front of you and said, how did you catch that fish? Well, you've got one or two options. You can say, well, I used the chartreuse lizard with this special rig that I used. I also used my depth finder, and I found that the fish was at 12 feet. And let me tell you exactly how I caught that fish. Or you could say, well, I'll tell you what happened. I got up this morning, and I prayed. I said, Lord, would you bless me with a big fish today? <laughs> when I got up this morning, I asked what lure to use, and I asked God where to fish, and I just feel like the Lord led me today, and I just want to give him praise for helping me catch his big fish. <laughs> now, you just did a Tim Tebow. You just put John 3.16 right under your eyes and the world saw it because you used your platform as an opportunity for eternal significance for Christ's kingdom. And I don't care if you work in law enforcement, if you're a builder, if you work at Cooper Tire, wherever your life is, you don't have to go somewhere else to find significance. You find significance right in your world by influencing people for Christ. So this is what we're talking about today, and significance matters, and don't think it doesn't. It matters because of two things. Number one is because it focuses on the eternal and not the temporary. 
The scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary. temporary. It's not going to last. But what is unseen is eternal. What is unseen now is Jesus. One day we'll see him face to face. What is unseen now is a real place called heaven. What is unseen now is, is the judgment seat of Christ. What is unseen now are angels and what's behind the spirit in this world, in the spiritual world. But one day we'll see it. And the challenge in this message, in this series, is to live a life in such a way so you'll be rewarded on that great day because of the significance we've had. Because the Bible clearly tells us, number two, in Romans 14, that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And I don't want to go to the judgment seat of Christ with bags of duck decoys on my shoulders, come on, and, and turkey beards in my hand, and turkey calls and guns, and that's all I did. But I want to go to Jesus, come on, having influenced lots of folks around this world for him. How about you? Yeah. Let me show you two, two examples in Scripture. Acts chapter 9 is where we're going to start. We're going to look at two people, actually three. We're going to look at a, a, a disciple, just an ordinary believer. His name's Ananias. But uh, when he said yes to God, the ministry of Paul the Apostle began. And the second person we'll look at is kind of a duo. It's a, it's a mother and grandmother. The, the, the family of Timothy that influenced him to be the uh, successor of Paul. I think you're going to get something out of it today. So let's look at Acts chapter 9, verse 10. And the scripture says there's simply a believer named Ananias. He's from a place called Damascus. And that says to me he's not an apostle, he's not a prophet, he's not, you know, the TV evangelist. He's an ordinary guy just like you and just like me. But the Lord speaks to him. And notice what it says. The Lord spoke to him in a vision. Now, how many believe in visions today? How many believe that God can communicate with us? Yeah, God is still a speaking God. He's still a speaking God. And, this particular, and a vision is like a, a snapshot. It's like a picture. Uh, sometimes it can have a couple slides like a short movie, but it's just a way of God communicating supernaturally. It's not weird. It's pretty normal in Scripture. And when he called, he said, Yes, Lord. And you say that with me? Yes, yes Lord. And the Lord said, now listen to this, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas, and when you get there, ask for a man named Saul, and he's praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. Now this just has supernatural written all over it. But it also has an ordinary man who's just a believer who's close to God, who walks with God. And when God had a big need to be able to help someone in a big way, he used him. He said, well, now that was the Bible. Yeah, but how many believe the Bible is still relevant for us today? I believe the book of Acts, rather than just being historical record, is a model for church life. It doesn't make, I've, I've never understood the doctrine of cessationism, which basically says God did supernatural things in the days of the Bible, but when the Bible was codified or brought together or canonized, there's no more supernatural. Or when the, all the apostles died, the supernatural stops. You see, both of those uh, disagree with church history, but they fly in the face of everything Jesus taught to birth this movement called the church. I mean, Jesus was supernatural when he walked on this earth. He taught the 12 to be supernatural. He taught the 70 to be supernatural. And then when the church was born on Pentecost and beyond that, it was a supernatural church. So why in the world would God stop it? I suggest to you he hasn't. And he's looking for people just like you and me who walk close to God that God could speak to. What if it was a, a, uh, 
uh, a woman who had just gotten divorced and her heart's just ripped from her, ripped, and she just feels like she doesn't have hope for living. She's contemplating suicide, but she's hungry, so she goes to Albertsons. And as you're in Albertsons at the same time, you just kind of rush in to get something, and you're walking down the aisle, and the Holy Spirit speaks to you. Talk to her because she's going to take her life. What if you went to her? Well, how do I know if it's the Lord? And, and what if she laughs at me? And what if she throws a, a cucumber at me? Or, or what if... Yeah, but what if you told her and tears began to come down her face and she said, how did you know that? Amen. And you said, the Lord told me. The same Lord Jesus who loves you, who died for you so you could live eternity and have hope in this life, he's got a plan for your life. I'm telling you, life comes when death was preeminent. Well, that's the same kind of thing that's happening here. There's just simply a man walking in the Spirit, walking close to God. He's not super spiritual. He's not an apostle. He's, not a, he's a Christian just like you and just like me. And uh, he has this vision from God. Now, Ananias, uh, we're told in Acts 22, when Paul retells the story, he says he's a devout observer of the law and highly respected by the Jews. Which tells me, this, though he was not in terms of credentials or, or, or office in the church, he was not somebody, you know, big guy. He was someone who walked real close to God. He was someone that if you were to point at in the congregation to say, son, you should grow up and be like him. Uh, honey, if you want to find a Christian example, be like her. So he lived this way as a devout Christian, had good reputation. And this, I think, is why God strategically chose him to do this highly significant task. You see, at the point in the story, the great apostle Paul doesn't exist. What we've got is a Jewish man. His name is Saul. He is ardently following uh, what he thinks is following God, but he's persecuting the church, and he's killing Christians, and he's in error. Jesus himself has appeared to him, knocked him off his horse. He's blinded by the light, and now he's laying in some house somewhere praying. God has his attention, and God's going to find someone to come and help him not only get healed, but on course to become the greatest apostle that ever lived. This is the most significant opportunity of Ananias' life, to do something to be remembered for all eternity. You see, and what he did is he went to, he, he, he literally had a chance to say yes to God or say no to God. Well, how many know uh, this one? I say the word vision. Now, it's not always this, I want you to broaden your understanding of, of, of vision. And let's let it represent those times where God just speaks to you, where something is confirmed in your heart. I mean, for me, when, 25 years ago this month, I was driving from Palestine to come and preach here in this church. I crossed, a, a, I can remember, a second bridge in a little valley, uh, some trees, cypress trees in the water. And when I crossed that second bridge, I believe the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I want you to go pastor a church on the Rock, Texarkana. Well, that was an encounter with God. I heard the Lord. I had, a, 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 last week when they handed out those backpacks to those kids, I wanted to just go out there and be a part of it just to kind of feel what was going on and, and just touch it because I needed to sometimes get out of the office. You know what I'm talking about? And I just went out there and, and, and I took a friend with me. He's my age, professional. And uh, we're just kind of mingling around watching. And I saw the most amazing thing happen out there. In that little impoverished community, I saw an interracial team from our church go out there and just start loving on people. Come on. And I thought, if, if America could get a hold of this, we'd change this nation. Because the power to change racism in America is not coming from a plan from Washington. Come on. It is, it is coming from the church, the people of God, the love of God motivating in our hearts. 
Well, anyway, I'm just, I'm just wanting to feel this and touch people that matter to God. And uh, anyway, I, I looked at my friend, and, and he was sitting on the ground by this little three-year-old girl. And uh, he brought her a hot dog and, and, and a Coke, and now there's a couple little girls around. And uh, he came up to me, and he said, Did you know that this child's daddy dropped her off? No supervision, no brothers, no sisters. Who's taking care of her? And he's just sitting down having a hot dog and loving on that child. That was a God moment for me. That spoke something to me that I wouldn't have got anywhere else. So when I'm talking about God's communication, it's not just you know this supernatural vision, Ananias and the Lord speaking. It's just living life and just feeling the nudge of the Lord and saying yes. I mean, understand what I'm talking about. Well, that's exactly what happened here. Let me tell you another guy that had a great vision uh, that it changed his life. Have you ever heard of a man named Richard Stearns? He's the CEO of World Vision. And his, this is his story. World Vision, by the way, is one of the largest benevolence uh, organizations, Christian-caring ministries in the world, helping orphans, and they go in, you know, where crises happen and feed people. Well, anyway, he said when he was a young Christian in his 20s in college, he said he cared so much about starving kids that he said to his fiance, and listen to this, as long as there are starving children, we're not going to own fine china, crystal, crystal or silver. Can you imagine that gal married him? Because he wouldn't let her include any of that in the bridal registry. But she married him anyway. Everybody say love is blind. But here's the irony. Later, he became the CEO of Linux. You know what Linux is? Linux is the premier provider for the American table, fine china, silver, come on, and crystal. So now this guy that said, we're not having any of that stuff, is the president. He lives in this 10-bedroom home in Philadelphia. Uh, he drives a Jaguar. He travels all over the world. Uh, he's, and he's a dedicated Christian. He's in church on Sunday. He's, I mean, he is what you might call a model of success. Everybody wants to be like him. But then something he says, there's a book I'm reading. It's called A Hole in Our Gospel. It's pretty profound. But anyway, here's what he says. He said, uh, uh, a World Vision recruiter came to him. And mind you now, this is when he's at the apex of his career, when he epitomizes what we would call success, not significance, but success. And how many know you can have both? You can have both. He's at the epitome of his career. A recruiter from World Vision asked him, do you remember the young man who is so passionate about starving children? He said, look at yourself now. Do you see what you've become? If you still care about starving kids, World Vision has a job for you. And he went on a trip to Africa, and he saw the plague of what AIDS had left, and he saw a little 12-year-old raising his, two, his brother and sister, and there was no parents there because AIDS had taken their lives. And he went home, resigned from Linux, and he chose a path of significance with World Vision. Now, I bet you he still lives in a nice house, drives a nice car and all that. But he exchanged, just like Penny Hiller did, success for significance, all because he said yes when the Holy Spirit nudged him. Come on, give the Lord a good hand. Now, let's stay with Ananias, verse 13. You remember the Lord came to this Christian and said, Hey, look, I want you to go talk to Saul. And Ananias did the classic thing that you and I do. He said, But Lord... So now he's going to tell Jesus something he doesn't know. I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. He's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. 
And, and by the way, Lord, I don't want to be arrested. But let me say this to you. If he said yes to God, he could be arrested, he could be jailed, and he could even lose his life. And I don't want to suggest to you saying yes to God is always roses. Sometimes it'll cost you. It could have cost his relationship, his face-to-face time with his family, because this guy Saul could have thrown him in jail. We always don't know what's on the other side. I had a friend of mine tell me one time in Matthew 28 when Jesus said go, he didn't say come back. He just said, go, now stay with me on this, because sometimes there's going to be a cost of following God, but can I say this? Even if it's a cost, say yes anyway, because when you, if you don't, when you get to your end of your life, all you'll have is trophies for big bass, or all you'll have is bags of decoys on your shoulders, come on, or all you'll have is, you know, a brand new whatever car or house that your kids are just going to drive anyway. I mean, are you with me today? You see, when you trade success for significance, I look at Penny. Penny, as a school teacher, I guarantee you she could have lived with a master's degree in a nicer house that she lives in now. Now, she lives in a nice house, but it could have been a nicer house. Uh, Penny could have been driving a newer car, a nicer car, but the car gets her from where she wants to go in point A to point B. But guess what? Significance, the reward is not always right now. The promise of significance, come on, is the world to come. It's the eternal, and that's what we're living for. Well, verse 15, the Lord said to him, Look, Ananias, go, because Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people Israel. And verse 17, he said, Yes. Ananias went and found Saul. And then it gets really good. He goes in, here this guy is blinded, and he says, who are you, who are you? I'm Ananias. Jesus told me you were coming to see me. He goes in, he lays his hands on him, and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's pretty incredible. You see, when we pray for people in our church, often someone might place their hand on your shoulder or touch your forehead. I mean, it's not mysticism. It's not spooky. It's it's like this laying on of hands, which is an expectation of a spiritual transference where the Holy Spirit will do something miraculous. And he literally, a blind man could see again because this ordinary guy like you and I, and then he was filled with the Holy Spirit. It's, the word, it's being baptized in the Holy Spirit, just like happened throughout the pages of the book of Acts. Now, I mean, say that's pretty powerful. Pretty powerful, pretty big. Instantly, scales fell from his eyes. He regains his sight. He got up and was baptized. All because Ananias obeyed God, spiritual things began to happen. Because uh, Saul, after that, had a name change. And rather than being Saul of Tarsus, now he's Paul. And one day he'll be Paul the Apostle. Come on, the greatest apostle the world has ever known. He'll write two-thirds of the New Testament, and he will give birth to the Gentile church. In case you don't know what that is, it's anybody that's not a Jew is a Gentile. I believe there are 16 million Jews on the earth right now. There are almost 7 billion people, which means there's a heck of a lot more Gentiles than there are Jews, and Paul is the person that God used to start this thing for us. So would you say Ananias found significance? And he found it in a day or a day or two in a short period of time because he said yes. Let's look at someone else. Now, you may think, well, man, that's pretty grandiose. I could never do those kind of big spiritual things. And, you know, here I am just in Little Texarkana. Let's talk about a mother and a grandmother now who said yes. 
I'll read a passage in 2 Timothy, and it's about a young man. Paul is writing this letter to his son in the faith, Timothy. And he said this, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your, uh, your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. Now think about this just a second. Do you realize everyone in this room is two generations away from people even knowing you existed on this earth? Right now, if you have a bit of selfishness like me, you think the world revolves around you. See, you could have said, you're not selfish, Pastor, and I'd have be humble and all that. I know I am. I know I am. And we think the world revolves around us. I'll tell you how I know this is true. I love my grandparents growing up. I can't tell you how much I love them, how big a part of my life they were. They took me fishing. They took me hunting. They played with me. My grandmother bought me things. I mean, it just, I mean, they were just great, 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 great grandparents. But when I introduced them to my children, those that were still alive, they barely have a memory of them. They might have a picture in Grandma's arms when they were two or three, but they don't remember them. My son's namesake, he's John Henry Miller IV. He didn't remember John Henry Miller I, though I loved him so much. And then when, if he has kids, they won't even know anybody was there. See, I've seen a tombstone of my great-grandfather, John Miller, and I don't know hardly anything about him. I never met him. Do you know, friends, in two generations, no one will even know your name? Unless you make a book or something. But yet, 2,000 years later, we remember two women, Lois and Eunice. And the reason we remember them is because they said yes to impact the spiritual life of a young man named Timothy. Now, stay with me on this. Timothy was mentored by Paul. He's mentioned in several books of the Bible. He established churches with Paul, and he went on. He would become one of Paul's successors. In Philippians 2, Paul said, He is like a son with the Father. He served with me in the gospel. But let me say this. That did not happen automatically or accidentally. Paul didn't convert Timothy. Timothy was raised to know God by his mother and his grandmother. Let me say it again. He was raised to know God by his mother or or grandparents. And saying yes to raising godly kids may be the most significant thing a parent can do. Let me say that again. Raising godly kids may be the most significant thing you as a parent or grandparent or uncle or someone that visits the housing projects, or someone that coaches the ball team, or someone that works in Kid Zone, or someone that teaches JBQ, it may be the most important thing you will ever do in your life. One of the most important influential people in my growing up years as a teenager was a, a, a baseball coach named O.M. Briscoe. I was able to do his funeral. He turned his heart to Christ in his latter life. But listen, when I was a teenager, 16 years old, playing Babe Ruth Pony League baseball, O.M. was not a Christian. O.M. drank whiskey and O.M. cussed. And I'll tell you what, we're playing ball and he calls timeout and he'll blankety-blank this. And, you know, I mean, but I love that man. If you had tried to do something towards him, I would have come out of my ch- I mean, I would have whipped you. I'm pretty spry even now. So you don't think so. I can do that, and you can't do that. I mean, you, you should have seen me years ago. I love that man. Now listen, he taught me how to cuss, and he taught me how to drink. He taught me how to play third base, and I was pretty good at it. But he didn't teach me anything about God. Are you a baseball coach? Are you a school teacher? 
Are there kids in your neighborhood? Are there kids around you? There's, there's a bunch of them in this church. And I tell you, a lot of them don't have a good home life. Can we go a little farther? You step into that and you may find that they're not like you. And that's difficult because all of us wants to have people like us. And there's a world out there of young Timothys waiting for somebody to take them under their wing. Come on. Because the government has failed at this miserably. The most significant thing you can do is to pour into a child's life. It is saying yes. You read a Bible story at night to a child. You're tired. I mean, Listen, I read Bible stories to kids, and when they're little, that's how they learn to read. We'd sound out the words, G, 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 G's, Jesus. No, Jesus said. Hey, look, now, come on. When it's 10 o'clock and you've worked hard all day, how are you going to get through the story? You know, you can't even get through a sentence here, and they want to keep going. But if you do that, if you've worked hard on Wednesday and you bring your child to JBQ and they learn the Bible, I want to tell you, friends, you are making a difference. It is not always easy, but raising godly kids can have powerful results in the kingdom. Let me kind of wrap up. Let me tell you four people, four women who influenced my spiritual life. And if you would have looked at me growing up, now I was a good kid. I had good manners and all that, but I was a little hellion when I became a teenager. I'm sure you weren't, but I was. <laughs> but let me tell you what got me from there to where I am today. And it didn't start with the Gideon who shared his faith when I joined the Navy. It started with my mother when I was a little boy. And my mother would read Bible stories to me at night. I remember the book. It's a big, big black leather cover, picture of Jesus on the front. She'd read Bible stories. We'd say prayers before I went to sleep at night. And she'd make sure I'd go to church. Now, I didn't want to go, but she made sure I went. It was a little Methodist church with five or six pews on each side, two Sunday school rooms. I had two Sunday school teachers in my life. One was Julia Guy, first through sixth grade, and Leslie Flynn, seventh through twelfth grade. And I'd go in that classroom, sit in that chair and be cool and prop my chair against the wall. But something was absorbing in my mind. Not only did my mom teach me, but my grandmother, my dad's mom, I call her Nana. We lived in a duplex in the country on the farm, and I'd go through their door and uh, uh, there's Nana reading the Bible every day, reading the Bible. My other grandmother, I called her Mama, she immigrated from the Baltic state of Latvia in World War II. She was a refugee. What I learned from her, she was probably one of the sweetest, godliest people I ever met. I learned what the kindness of the Holy Spirit really is. I learned what love was from my grandmother. And then there was another lady. Her name was Mary, Mary Street. Mary was a, a black woman. She was married to a sharecropper. He lived on my dad's farm. Holly was his name. He milked cows, had a little patch of cotton or whatever they had. Mary was my nanny when I was growing up. Now, mind you, I grew up late 50s, 60s. Not a great time there in Mississippi for a lot of issues. But I'll tell you what. This woman loved me, and she prayed for me. Let me tell you how I know. When I committed my life to go in full-time Christian ministry, she was still alive. And I went to see her and went to tell her. And I went in her little house that she lived in, and by then she had diabetes. She had both her legs cut off right here. So she's just on two stumps in a wheelchair. I go in the house, and she said, Come here, baby, and I'm talking to her. Anyway, and I told her I was going to the ministry. I thought she was going to jump out of that chair in her two little stumps there. She said, Oh, baby, I've been praying for you all your life. Don't ever tell me what you do for a child is insignificant. 
Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me. Kids are at the top of the list. Well, listen, let me wrap this up. I want to read you a story about the legacy of Billy Graham. Billy Graham, they'll put his picture up, 96 years of age. He's called America's greatest preacher. Listen to his story. As of 2008, Billy Graham's lifetime audience, including radio and TV broadcasts, topped 2.2 billion people. In other words, he told 2 billion people through crusades, through preaching, through radio, TV, he told 2 billion people about Jesus. Billy Graham shared the gospel with more people than anyone else in human history. Would you say that's significant? But the story goes on. Do you know who shared the gospel with him? Stay with me. It's a series of events that's been traced over the years, but it starts out with one volunteer Sunday school teacher, Edward Kimball. Most people never heard of him. Kimball was a Sunday school teacher who not only prayed for the rowdy boys, and all the teachers said, amen, not only prayed for those rowdy boys, but he also sought to win each one to the Lord. But one young man didn't seem to understand what the gospel was about, so Kimball went to the shoe store. Inconvenient, busy, all that, just like you and me. But he goes to the shoe store where he was stocking shelves, and he talked to this young man about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That young man was Dwight L. Moody. You ever heard of the Moody Bible Institute? Dwight L. Moody received Jesus as his Savior, and in his lifetime he touched two continents for God with thousands coming to Christ. Under Moody, another man's heart was touched for God, Wilbur Chapman. Chapman became an evangelist who preached to thousands, and one day a professional ball player attended one of his meetings and was saved. His name was Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday quit baseball, like Penny, traded success for significance, and became part of Chapman's team. When Chapman accepted the pastorate of a large church, Billy Sunday began his own evangelistic crusades, and a young man named Mordecai Ham was converted. Ham became a preacher, and he came to Charlotte, North Carolina for a rally. A sandy-haired, lanky young man in high school who his family called Billy Frank. He's kind of like Billy Bob. <laughs> Billy Frank vowed that he wouldn't go hear him preach, but he did. Ham announced that he knew for a fact that a house of ill repute was located across the street from the local high school and that the male students, the boys, were skipping lunch to go visit the house. So that didn't make these teenage boys very happy, so they were going to go and interrupt the meeting. Well, when the students decided to go interrupt the meeting, Billy Frank decided just to go see what would happen. And that night, Billy Frank went and was intrigued by what he heard. Returning another night, he responded to the invitation and was converted Billy Frank eventually became known as Billy Graham, the evangelist who preached to more people than any other person who's ever lived. 2.2 billion people owe credit hearing the gospel of Christ because a Sunday school teacher said yes. Now, don't you think there's going to be some reward in heaven? Come on. Or Edward Kimball. And looking at that class, how insignificant it seems. Now, looking at Billy Graham, oh, that's significant. You know, you look at, you know, big churches and big pastors and blah, blah, that's significant. But a Sunday school class, yeah. Because God doesn't look at things the way we do. You see, God looks at opportunities that are best suited for you 
and best suited for me. And he gives us a chance to do it if we'll say yes. And my friend, amazing things happen when we say yes to God. Significance is our portion. Come on, give him a good hand today. I'm done. Why don't you stand to your feet and give me just a minute or two. I want you to take just a second and say, Lord, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? I wonder if you're here today and you say, Pastor, God's been talking to me about something that I need to be doing in the kingdom. And I want to say yes to the Lord right now. Nobody looking around, but just a private moment, you and God. I know something that God wants me to do, and, and I want to say, tell him yes today. Would you just slip up your hand right now? Just slip up your hand right now. I know something God has talked to me about today, and I just want to say yes. For everyone else in this room today, could we just say this? Lord, would you show me what to do because I want to do it? I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to end up my life with a bunch of trophies and bags of stuff. I want to have fun along the journey, but when I stand before you on that great day, I want you to be happy with me because I chose significance over success. So, Lord, if you'll show me what to do, Lord, I'll say yes. Just slip up your hand if that's your cry right now. Holy Spirit, we give you the right. We're just a lump of clay. We ask you to shape us and mold us into the person that you want us to be. Let's close with an opportunity for personal prayer today. I'm so glad you came this morning. It was good today, wasn't it? Invite somebody next week. And we got, we got plenty of room, first service Sunday and Saturday night. But, but, but let me make a chance for prayer. Because perhaps you missed the earlier prayer time and, or whatever, or maybe for whatever reason, but there's still something in your life that you need God to help you with. Let's pray about it before you go. Maybe you're here today and, and something in this message really struck you, but you know it's going to be hard. Because it's hard to say yes. <laughs> it was hard for Ananias. Maybe you want to just have someone pray for you and ask for the help and the grace of God. We'd be honored to do that. The most important thing we'd like to pray for today is your own spiritual life. Maybe you don't even know if you died today, if you'd go to heaven or hell. My friend, there's nothing more important. I was raised in church and raised under the illusion that if I went to church and was a good guy, that I'd go to heaven. My friend, it's wrong. Because the Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But the good news is the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now look, I knew about Jesus in my head, but I'd never committed to him in my heart. If you can imagine, I was living my life going this way. I was working for my dad. I was playing ball. I was having fun. I was going out with friends and all that. And all of a sudden, one day, I realized something's missing in life. All the stuff that I try to pour into, it's like a bucket with a hole in the bottom. I don't care how many times you fill it up, it always drains out. And I realized what I was looking for was not going to be satisfied through another person, through alcohol, through smoking pot, through education, through careers, through money, through another car. What was missing was God. And that Gideon told me what I'm telling you today is Jesus Christ can change your life if you'll commit to follow Him. Only He can forgive your sins and promise eternal life. I remember when I turned my heart to Christ, just like I'm turning to the cross. The Bible calls it repentance. And I said, Lord... I've kind of made a mess in my life, and if you want me, I want to give my life to you. I need forgiveness, but I want to begin to follow you this day. Something like that. But God saw my heart. And friends, that was on August 15, 1976, and I never turned back. God is a good God. You say, Pastor, that's what I need. I need to be converted. I need to be saved. It could be the first time in your life you've prayed this prayer, or, or you might have gotten away from God. 
And in this moment of time, you want to turn your heart back to Christ today. Because you'll never find significance until you get on board with Jesus. So that's you today. And before we go, you want to do what you know you need to do is to commit your life to Christ. I'd be honored to pray for you. If that's you, friends, just lift your hand real quickly so I know who you are. Say, pray for me, Pastor. I want to commit my life to Christ. Anyone this morning? Yeah, I see some hands. Give her a big hand back there. God bless you and God bless you. I see your hand over here. God bless you. Somebody else say, pray for me. God bless you, sir. Pray for me. I want to commit my life to Christ today. I've gotten away from God. God bless you too. God bless both of you. You say, well, why are, we having me, why are you having me raise my hand, preacher? Why do I have to go up there? Why can't I just do something here? I'll tell you why. Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. But if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. And if you can't make a step to Christ in a room where people clap, you'll never do it out in the world. So I want to ask you one more time boldly, is there anyone else that's here today say, Pastor, this is what I need to do. I need to turn and follow Christ, and I want to do it right now. Slip your hand up right now. We'll pray for you too. Anyone else this morning say, pray for me. God bless you, dear. I see your hand. Anybody else today? God bless you, ma'am. God bless you too. I see your hand. The Lord is proud of you. The Bible says angels in heaven are rejoicing today. Anyone else this morning? God bless you. I see your hand, pal. God bless you. Listen, let's do this this morning. All you that raise your hand, why don't you come over to the cross right now? Somebody's going to pray for you. We're going to give you something. Come on, you that raise your hands, come on up. Give them one more big hand. Somebody's going to be over here. They're going to pray for you. They're going to give you something. They're going to help you in your Christian life. We want to put something in your hands that's going to help you live this life that God has for you to live. The Lord's very proud of you. Our prayer team's going to come to the front right now. Thanks for your patience. We'll close after one last song, but our prayer team will come to the front, and if you need prayer for anything, they'll pray. Come on up, prayer team. You that pray for people, come on up here and just offer a prayer if anybody needs prayer. Let's sing it, Pastor Nick. I love you. It's good to see you. Don't forget Wednesday night now, right here, a meal at 530, and then we'll be in the sanctuary at 7 to talk about the fall.